Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Guardian. Welcome to the final word, Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John and I'm here in the UK where I've spent much of the last two months sitting too close to the TV screen in the hope of scoring some secondhand vitamin D. My colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon over in Australia are positively radiant with the stuff and they will be discussing the third and, spoiler alert, final day of this test from the Hobart ground shortly. But first, an apology. If you listened to yesterday's podcast, you will have heard me say that England's three quick wickets at the end of the second day's play had kept them in this test match. From this, you may have received the impression that things might work out differently for the visiting team and even offer them a chance of finishing the tour with a barely deserved 3-1 scoreline. I fully accept that my words could have contributed to a reckless and misleading optimism in fans of the England team, and I apologise sincerely for any hurt and distress this has caused. In my defence, there was actually a moment in the third day's play when England were statistical favourites to win this game. England had bowled Australia out for 155 in their second innings, thanks to the excellent bowling of Mark Wood, who picked up career-best test figures of 6 for 37. And while Alex Carey's innings of 49 had helped turn the fourth innings target into a severely testing one, Zach Crawley and Rory Burns had taken England to 68 without loss in their pursuit of 271. For the first time in the entire series, the complex algorithm behind the WinViz prediction actually gave England a chance. The floodlights were beginning to twinkle, and beneath them, England's openers were riding their luck. Rory Burns had arrived at the crease looking like a man with nothing left to lose. He literally let his hair down, giving him a style a little reminiscent of Neil from The Young Ones. His first four runs came from a streaky edge past the slips, and a few overs later, he chopped the ball and watched it skim over his own stumps like a high jumper at the edge of her reach. It was the final over before the supper break, and Burns was on 26. Green bowled at him round the wicket. Burns decided to play it. Burns decided to leave it. It's possible Burns was changing his mind again, but the ball didn't care and jagged back off the inside of his bat onto the stumps. England, 68 for one. This final instalment of Twilight was not, it turned out, going to be England's Breaking Dawn Part 1. This was just a rerun of the earlier edition, Twilight Eclipse. 
Green's breakthrough brought him three wickets in 15 runs. First, David Milan played on in almost identical fashion to his predecessor, then Crawley nicked behind. Once Ben Stokes had hooked Mitchell Stark to Lyon on the boundary for five, with the score on 92 for four, it was clear that we were watching the end credits of this Ashes tour. Each batter took a slightly embarrassed curtain call as their hurried farewell to an audience that has been booing and jeering for several weeks now, and it was, frankly, a mercy when the Australian captain took the final wicket of Ollie Robinson and spared everyone a miserable morning return to the ground. Australia won the Test match by 146 runs and the Ashes by four games to none. And you, good listener, lived through this shambles of a series alongside us. We thank you for your service. Let's go over one last time to Jeff and Adam in Hobart for their final wrap-up. When it's all said and done, we'll remember this series for the lack of competition between Australia and England, and that was exacerbated on the final day. 10 for 56, England lost after reaching none for 68, chasing 271. According according to the WinViz measure on CrickViz, that was an even test match, yet you press fast forward, not even a couple of hours inside 22.4 overs. That's all it took for Australia to take all of England's 10 second innings wickets. It was awful. It was as limp a display as I've seen in my time covering Test cricket. I suppose that to an extent it was predictable. We've seen these kinds of collapses from England through the series, but some of those wickets at the end were emblematic of a team that had completely thrown in the towel. And that is desperately sad because Mark Wood took six for 37 earlier today. They bowled themselves into a position where they could win the Test match. They bowled Australia out in about a session or, or thereabouts. Everything they needed to do, all the preconditions were Met, only for uh, their, their batsmen to and their and their bowlers for that matter with the bat to let the team down and let themselves down so spectacularly they'll be gutted with that. The the last flight out of Hobart to get back to the mainland leaves at eight thirty p.m. So they couldn't have even been on it. <laughs> uh, they didn't they didn't get to the close. So there was an extra half hour available for over eights, and there was another half hour had say England been eight down. They didn't need either of those half hours. They were out before either of those half hours. The presentations were done before the extra half hour yes. for overs would have been taken. Uh, it it was it it was frustratingly poor from England, particularly because there was that moment where it looked like they might be in it. 271, it seemed steep. It seemed like probably England wouldn't get that. But Rory Burns and Zach Crawley, they come out, they put on a partnership and not just a partnership, but Mm -hmm. they were, they were scoring freely. They were going at about five and over. uh, And, and it looked like this could be a different England team. This might be enough. It might get them set up. There was always the, the looming spectre of that last session, which could be difficult if new players were coming in, but it was a parade. It was a surrender parade. It was a concession. And uh, I feel pretty flat after after yeah. that. A, a test that finished inside three days that, that could have been a, a classic halfway through day four and instead was a humiliation uh, on night three. Yeah, the concession's probably the right term. You've, you've captured it well there. I mean, it's as though they in their own way, acknowledged they weren't going to chase down 271. And the frustration there is that they galloped to none for 50. Indeed, it's the biggest opening stand of the series. Full stop. Either team putting on 68. Australia's biggest opening partnership was 57 and England's was 46 before today. This combination that we were talking about before this test match with Crawley and Burns together for the first time in test cricket, it looked like it was cohesive. They were running well between the wickets, left hand, right hand. Crawley so strong through the onside. Burns playing nicely through the offside. I mean, there was something there if you're trying to draw a positive. But then Mm. right on the stroke of the tea break, 
Cameron Green, his seventh ball into the attack, gets a little inside edge back onto Burns' stumps, and then all hell breaks loose. Green goes bang, bang, bang after the um, after the tee break. The first three wickets, his first three wicket bag of the series, which in a way reinforces how useful he's been in that kind of cameo role. He'd come on for a wicket or two. He's got 14 in the series. He's got 14 in the series. I think he finished with 14 at thir- at. at 15.5. Um, and we'll come to the, the squeeze that Australia's um, entire group of quicks uh, put on England in a bit, I suppose. But what Green was able to do, it's another big step for him, uh, taking early wickets. He's taken top order wickets through the series, but getting rid of both openers. And he's and then, taken the wickets of set players. He's, he's, yeah. This has been something that Andy Zaltzman's been tracking. Most of the wickets he's got have been players who've got 25 or more when he's got them out. Well, I mean, if you can throw the ball as captain, and yeah, a big part of being a captain at test level is knowing how to change the energy when there's a partnership that's set. Because at, at the top level, you do come up against, you know, an hour or two or three or more when the batting team is on top. That is the nature of the beast. The cricket is usually too good to rely on Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark blowing a team away uh, or, or whoever it is being picked for Australia on any given week. You need to have bowlers who you can depend on to not let you down when you are trying to change the energy of an innings. And in this series of Green's wickets, two were Root, two were Stokes, two were Milan, uh, and two were another high-order player who I can't quite place right now. There, there, was a, there was a pattern of him taking important wickets, and you throw in there, getting Billings out yesterday, Pope out at the start of the series. The, the other player, uh, Crawley, got Crawley out twice, once last week and once this once week. tonight with a Beautiful bit of bowling with a gem as, of a ball as, as well. Just pitched it up a bit fuller, got a little bit of swing for the one of the rare times yep. tonight. Moved away off the seam, Crawley driving at it, took the edge. So those the, there were two quality wickets there with Burns and, and Crawley, and then David Milan I thought looked like a walking dismissal as soon as he came out. He was wafting away edges. He made 10, but they were mostly off the outside edge. He was getting beaten on his inside edge consistently. And to be fair to David Milan, he wasn't picked to bat on a green pitch in Hobart. He was picked to bat at the Wacker where they didn't play. Uh, He was brought to bat on good batting decks and relatively flatter tracks in Australia and that's not what he got here under lights but um, he he didn't look like he was going to be around long and he wasn't. Yeah, some mitigation for Milani. He cops this Barrage from Green. Hit on the helmet as well in that short stay. And, and other mitigation is that his wife gave birth yesterday, um, six weeks early with the, with the child. I mean, like, can you imagine that? Apparently he found that out just when he was about to walk out to bat yesterday. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> cliched as it is, this means nothing to Dava Milan right now. I mean, it does, of course, professionally, but there's, there's far more going on. And, and thankfully, well, there's great news there with the baby. Um, Summer Sky is the, is the name of the child. Yes. So congratulations to David. He's been on the show before and his wife, Claire. And, and a Summer Sky here. Um, in Hobart that he was looking up at. So so that's nice. And I, I could have understood him getting out and just leaving and going to the airport and, and, and getting on that I actually, I actually wouldn't have had a problem him getting out yesterday and going no. to the airport. I yeah. mean, anyway, that's, that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, the, the um, you know, c- congratulations on that front. Sad that he went that way. Because Green, again, you know, he goes bang, bang, bang. But I think the third wicket, even though it was a fine piece of bowling to Crawley, it's the way that he got Milan that he was able to kind of rough him up. Green wasn't doing that at the start of the series. He wasn't doing that, although he did get Pope out with a short ball. More or less, he was getting wickets pitching the ball up. Now he's got these other tricks that he's willing to willing to try out because his confidence is up. Yep. His strike rate's like 37 in the series or something ridiculous. It's a very impressive set of numbers. Yep. Um, and and then, then you had, I mean, Joe Root got an unplayable, um, one, oh. one from Scott Boland that, that, that kept so low and, and he had no ability to play it. But I did think it was important that, I mean, Root came out and didn't really look to score. So they'd gone, they'd scored about, what, 
I can't remember the exact numbers here, but it was roughly 80 off 16 overs and then it was 33 off the yeah, next, 68, off 68 off 16. They lose yeah. the wicket on the, on the first ball of the 17th over going to tee. And then you're right, things do dry up. And, and so that meant that on a pitch like that in that evening session where Australia's bowlers were going to come at him, there was always the strong possibility that that would happen, that he would get a good ball because they were able to bowl at him and he wasn't doing anything to put the pressure back on like Crawley had been doing and, yeah. and like Burns had been doing to an extent. So it felt like when the couple of wickets went down, I didn't think England are in huge strife here, but when the runs dried up, I thought this is where they are in trouble because someone will get out and, and Australia will run through. You know, I didn't really expect them to chase 271, but I would have liked to see them, if they were going to get bowled out, get bowled out for 240, giving it a good go, um, rather than just coming to a halt, which is basically what happened. Yeah, more or less, wasn't it? So, I mean, Stokes gets out between times. Um, playing yeah, a big hook playing shot. Playing a big hook shot. Not one required. Of two, one of two dismissals in How many in, in people match. got out to the hook shot in this match? Well, and Stokes was, goes, oh, I think I'll have a pop at yeah, this one from the start. Of the first 26 wickets to fall in the test, Will McPherson crunched these numbers. 11 of them were caught on the leg side, be it down the leg side or, or playing the hook shot. Yep. So, for the second time in the test, it was caught. Lyon, Bold Stark, his only wicket. It opened it up for Boland. Those partnerships, I mean, the first partnership, 68, the second's 14, then it goes 1, 9, 9, 6, 0, 8, 8, 1. So they just built, they were just completely yeah. under the pump. You order Boland, a pizza if you dial that. If you're lucky, yeah, and the, and the supplementary numbers are. Uh, but um, with, um, with Boland getting that one to shoot through, you know, You've got to be in it to win it a little bit sometimes. You know, if you're bowling balls that are consistently hitting the stumps, there will be days when, when balls shoot through. Uh, it probably shouldn't be shooting through on day three. That is the only, I suppose, the only negative on what was otherwise a fabulous pitch, I thought. Um, but then he picks up Sam Billings in a fairly indiscriminate way, fairly soft way, really. Well, that was, but that was one that... Pushing him it on. Well, because Boland bangs it into the wicket, he got it to stick in the pitch a bit, and Billings was just trying to turn to mid-wicket and got a little leading edge that popped yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So, again, I... I didn't think that was really Billings' fault, um, but it, it was the nature of the way Boland uses the pitch. Um, and extremely popular here. I was taking a wander down there. The people down at the stand where he was at fine leg, they were literally screaming over the fence, we love you, Scotty Boland, oh, yeah. we love you. Then he'd feel it, field a ball at fine leg and they'd all be like, yeah, he fielded a ball. You know, he's an extremely popular man. 18 wickets in the series at 9.5. It was, I think, yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? I interviewed him before play today and I, my first question was something to the effect of, you know your life's changed forever, right? Mm. And, and he's like, I suppose it has. Like he understands that he's a cult hero. He's a national hero. Um, and you're, we, we've had him fielding beneath us in our commentary position. And it's been wild all day, um, all three days, whenever he's gone anywhere near the ball, even when he's not near the ball, just jogging the fine leg. And that was capped with the Wokes wicket, wasn't it? That diving catch from Kerry. The one thing that was missing from Kerry, and he made 49 today, and we'll, we'll probably go back to that in a sec, um, could have been out a couple of times. In fact, most of that will feature in Hall of Fame, I, I suppose. Um, but that's that screamer that Kerry takes, diving to his right. I was watching... Um, and that was his weak spot up until this point, yeah, was and, going low to his right. Well, and this was high to his right. This was an absolute... This was a goalkeeper take in the webbing of the gloves. This was Ian Healy stuff, right? Mm. Or Adam Gilchrist stuff that, that go on the highlight reel. He hadn't had one of those big sort of yep. speckies, if you like. And I, I wonder the extent to which the work they were doing before play out in the middle. Um, Alex Kerry, Steve Smith, Adam Gilchrist, Shane Warne, Mike Hussey, a little bit of Michael Vaughan working on the stagger and going through it with them. Because I mean, obviously, and I don't, well, I say obviously, social media would suggest that on the Fox coverage, they've been very big on them needing to fix the stagger. And these former players have got like, you know, 
three, 400 catches between them. So let's work on this together. Uh, and they, they did space out more today. And maybe that did provide Kerry with the belief that he should go for a catch like that. The oxygen. Yeah, maybe just having thought about it a bit more. When, you, know, when um, you give oxygen, a flame burns hotter. Yeah, know? and that burnt hot, great catch. And the last two dismissals, Wooden Robinson. I mean, Robinson is just a, it's just a disaster, really, isn't it? He, his back wasn't right um, again today, really. And then backing away the way that he backed away to well, Cummins. They all, they all did. I mean, look, Pope got bowled behind his legs, walking yes. off the pitch, basically, doing a, a Manus without even the attempt to get back. Somehow, like God knows how a top six player in, in test cricket does that, but just goes for a walk and gets bold. Mark Wood's backing away. I mean, Chris Wokes has a wild one. Robinson backing away. So literally at the end, the Australians are bowling at unguarded stumps. And that makes things pretty easy to wrap up. It motorway just, stuff. It was that get on the motorway, get out of here early. Just county cricket language. It, yeah, it looks like that was it. We don't want to be here. We're done with this rather than, you know, let's try to salvage something, anything from this situation. I suppose the disappointment and for Mark Wood, the disappointment, yeah. because let's, let's go back to his bowling. Let's. He got, he got everything with the short ball, his six wickets. They were all with, with the shorter ball. He bowled some great Yorkers. He, he actually had Pat Cummins given out to one that smashed him on the boot as a retaliation for what Cummins did to Wood in Sydney. Um, but that one ended up missing the off stump. It was reviewed and, and Cummins got reprieved. It's one of those, you know, that's just out. You know that's hitting the stumps at least. I mean, I know that the way that ball tracking has changed the way we now evaluate these things. But mm-hmm. anyway, that, that's... It was a right armour bowling around the wicket into a right-hander's feet and it did hit his foot in front of off stump but on that angle. So I it would have missed. It would have missed. But it looks great live. And Blocker <laughs> Wilson, was it, who was umpiring was blocker, that one? Yeah, yeah. He goes, yep, finger up. Um, blocker, he even gave one out to, to Stuart Broad doing the celebre appeal. Um, but that one was overturned on review. That was one of the And ones. that's the one that shouldn't have been overturned, by the way. I mean, I, we'll, we'll, I, I'm, I am certain we will talk about the front foot no ball in a sec. But if 49% of the ball is pitching a side leg stump, I think that uh, they need to rethink this. I don't think that you should have dismissals overturned when you know that, I mean, it's not a projection. It's literally, Mm. they know where the ball's landed because it's the, you know, that's, that's, it's not like the, you need a degree of um, latitude for the, for the stump projections. You know where that ball was landed. Has that ball landed outside the leg stump with 49% of it in line with leg stump? I think, yes, it has. I would say that they need to change the definition. If any of the ball is inside the line of leg stump, that's good to go. Okay. It might change it by half a ball width. We're talking about half a ball width here, but I think that it does play into the hands of left-handers in in a way that isn't quite it, how it would, it's it would change designed. the way that umpiring works, though, because you'd have to be giving it out if, say, you know, three percent of the balls pitching in I'm line okay with, with the stumps. That. I'm okay with that. My, right. my point is, is that at the moment when you see one like that today, that's just out again. But anyway, that, that's me complaining about technology. Let's not delve too deeply into that. Sure. Um, so the, I suppose the part of the Mark Wood story that is interesting, that is good, is that he's he's had all of these innings of bowling heat and coming away with one for something or two for something and he hasn't got the big bag of wickets. And today he did get the big bag of wickets and cheap, you know, six for 37. Um, it, it, it was that thing we've been waiting for from him. And he rolls over Australia for 155 and you're thinking, how can England not take this momentum, even though they've got a bigger chase than they would have wanted and it could have been, Smaller had they, you know, I mean, they had Australia six for sixty at one point. Should have had them. Should have had them seven for ninety-one. <laughs> How can they not take that 
into the rest of the match, but they yeah. didn't, and they well, couldn't. Well, a few things with Wood. First of all, it's his uh, it's, it's his best figures in Test cricket, surpassing the five of forty one. He took in South Africa a couple of years ago before COVID. Um, he took none for seventy five to one point in the Test match, and in from that point innings. forward, he took nine for seventy seven. So it gives you a sense of the way that he got himself back into the test, which is not easy to do. If you've got none for 75 after 11 or whatever it was, it is very easy to then go and have a disaster, a shocker of a test match, especially with the way that, that Head and Labashain, but Head especially, toyed with him. But he's made us tough stuff. He's made a tough stuff. He doesn't give in. He keeps bowling quick. He keeps sprinting to the crease. Lots of love about Mark Wood. And yeah, frustrating. I mean, we've mentioned this a few times over the last six weeks. Frustrating that England couldn't do more of that kind of thing, roughing the Australians up around the leg stump line because beyond wood, they didn't really have the artillery to pull it off. Yep. So there were there were these moments. So Chris Wokes bowled Alex Carey having an ugly mow across the line and then got called on the video replay for the finest of no balls. And so that was overturned. And then Broad got Carey with the one that pitched sort of on the line of the leg stump and was given not out. On the DRS replay, um, Stuart Broad had about three different celebre appeals before that, which he didn't send upstairs, so which we touched on earlier in the yep. series. If you're willing to run away towards the slips doing the aeroplane and not look at the umpire, and then when they say, do you want to review, you're like, nah, I'm good. Um, I think that tells you something about the way that you're conducting yourself. But then he did get the decision given by Wilson, and then it was overturned. So, you know, it was classic Stuart Broad comedy. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can we do the no ball real quick? Yeah. Okay, let's do the no ball real quick. Um, first of all, why are they using the stump mic to stump um, the stump cam to adjudicate on that? That is thoroughly misleading. I've never seen that technology used for say when there's a goal in football crossing the line. Mm-hmm. It's always about being on the parallel. Yep. That's part one. Part two, we have a pressure from Michael Goff at Brisbane. Uh, two summers ago against Pakistan, and it's not just a precedent. I've been reading about this today. Mm-hmm. If if the foot is off the ground with the heel, but you are still touching the turf with the front of your foot, yes. then you are that is okay. Yes. That is fine. It's not as though you need to have your heel touching the no. turf in order for it to count. On that frame that was, you know, half a frame either way. Um, on the basis of what we heard from Michael Goff a couple of years ago, on that precedent, I feel as though that should have been fine. And now I get the other view, by the way. Anyone who's too parochial or too conclusive about this, is you should probably discount their views. I'm not interested in the sort of hardline view. We're talking about a fraction. Yeah. It was definitely in. It definitely, was definitely, in definitely out. out. I'm not yeah. interested in that. But my point is, is that based on what we learned two years ago, 
I'm pretty relaxed about that being the standard. In other words, it, it goes with the bowler when it is that close because there's an assumption that you, some you, part of the, the raised foot some was, part of the raised was behind foot. the line exactly. at the point the first bit of the foot exactly. made contact. There's, there's, there's like yeah. an assumption that that's why it goes the way of the bowler. Right. But and today, if you go to a frame one, where the whole foot's flat on the ground and the heel is maybe a millimetre in front of the line, then it means it wouldn't, that's not where it started. Yes. That's not where it landed. That's why they, that, this is this is it because they do shuffle right. forward. So they're, they're, I think that. Well, they also compress when they hit the ground. It's the same with the ball pitching outside leg stump. It compresses when it hits the yes. ground, which means that probably more than 50% of it was in line with Indeed, leg stump. It complicates it yet further yeah. that there is some give. So uh, look, uh, again, uh, be, be wary of people who are too adamant either way on this, but mm. I think that had it been me doing that job, and to be honest with you, it just reinforces that there should be specialist TV umpires. It's not a chip at Paul Rifle. It's more that I want Paul Rifle doing his best job, which is adjudicating test cricket from, you know, behind the stumps or a and, square and leg. And taking us off for rain that doesn't and, exist. And, to, and if he needs, if he feels the need to. What I'm, what I'd rather. And poking the ground with an umbrella yeah. in the scientific rain test to well, see if, if it's if too he, wet. You know, if he's an elite umpire, I want him doing elite umpire things, and yeah. I want people who can interpret technology with all the precedents in mind too. Do you think Paul Rifle was thinking about what Michael Goff said two years ago in that moment? Of course not. So this is just you know this, we go yeah. around and around in circles a bit on this, but I reckon it's another part of that that case to move to the point where we have specialist TV umpires. Yep. So look, that was all rolled up in in the situation where Kerry put on more runs than England should have conceded. He made forty nine. Um, they get to one fifty five. They get to two seventy one in front instead of two thirty or two forty or whatever it might have been. But as it turns out, that probably wouldn't have made a great difference in the no. end because you get one English wicket and the rest of them come. And and I wish I didn't sound like a dismissive Australian saying this because I wanted England to fight. I wanted to see more. I thought we could see a great finish. And as I said off the top, it's, it's disappointing not to get that after what to was an it. excellent finish in Sydney yeah. to not get something more to get a, a surrender instead of a, a build on that. To get the grandstand finish, that decision at 60, uh, 91 for six, it could have been 91 for seven, the carry decision. If they're all out for 100 mm. and suddenly we're talking about 215 the chase and then none for 68 at two, not one for, you know, you know if you kind of squinted it, you can see how this might have been competitive. Yeah. But it comes back to our, our first point in this podcast today, which is that they were, I mean, yes, they got some good balls. Yes, they got some bad luck with Root, um, but they, they looked like just mentally ill-equipped for a, a task of that nature. They Chasing 271, a team that had, had never made more than 297 in the whole series, making 271 in the fourth innings on a track that did always have something in it, which is a good yep. thing, by the way. I think that the track was a ripper. Um, some will disagree, but my sense is that, you know, more test cricket on pitches like that, please, will make me a very happy man. Um, and when you boil it all down, um, it, it goes back to how important it was that Head and Green were able to do what they did on the first day and Labuschagne. If they didn't, we're having a uh, probably having a different conversation now as well after they were 12 for three within 45 minutes. So all told, that's where the match was won, not necessarily um, the rampage they went on tonight. So Australia win at 4-0. Um, they were basically one ball away from 5-0, you know, given the way the, the finish went in 99 Sydney. wickets. Mm. Yep. Um, but Jimmy Anderson ain't one. Well, he was several of them, but he wasn't that, Not one. that one. Not that one. Uh, so, look, it, it's, it was a it was a happy celebratory sort of mood for Australia. It was a very sombre mood for the England camp uh, down here tonight. But there were nice words said afterwards, and Pat Cummins was very appreciative of England for coming out and going through what they've gone through to be here and being in the bubble and all of that. And we can get stuck into their work on the field. Uh, the fact that they've shown up through the series is important. Um, we've we've done the 
longer talks on the podcast about what next for English cricket. It's it's hard to pick more than two or three players who might come back here again in four years' time on this showing. I asked him directly after play. I just put it to root. Do you want to keep captaining England? And he said he does. I don't know, mate. Do I think that it should be Joe Reed's decision at this point, though? And that's not a reflection on Joe, but it's purely, I think, maybe it's time to take him out of the firing line. For his own, in, in the interest of Joe yeah. Root, I think maybe someone should say, Joe, this is an incredibly difficult job at the best of times, and it's now the worst of times. Just focus on batting for a while. Mm. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to know for sure, but that's my gut feel. Yeah, he, he was more expansive in the post-match presser with with the written press where he said you know it's not a decision I should take now it's too emotional it's too oh, close right. to it I should you know take take some time and and make sure that I make the right decision later okay, but I good. think I think he'll carry on because like, like we've said who else can do it yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah big big happy days for Australia 4-0 Ashes stuff at home they love a love an Ashes win at home but they've got tougher jobs ahead in Asia foreign conditions the Justin Langer question you know does, has Justin Langer got to go to Pakistan or uh, or does he does he just got to go uh, well yeah interesting that Langer did that photo on the stage with them um, grouped around him like a footy coach there was a, a, a a barnstorming Malcolm Conn column uh, on the weekend that said much of the problems with Langer uh, can be sourced back to a conversation he had with Alex Ferguson in England in, in 2019 when Ferguson told him you, you can't um, let the players control the situation. You need to be firm and, 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 and rule the roost effectively. And, and the criticism there was that he's tried to coach a cricket team like a football team. Mm-hmm. And so I quite like the optics of him sitting in the middle of the, of the picture like a footy coach tonight, which uh, you, know, you wouldn't necessarily see uh, ordinarily yep. in a cricket team. But yeah, they'll they'll presumably resolve that question before Pakistan because I don't think it'd actually be fair to Langer if 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 they're going to his contracts there till June. Yeah, but if they're going to move him on in June, they're going to make their they're going to know what they're doing pretty soon after this. And if it's a modified role or a red ball only role or who knows maybe a white ball only role, um, I think they owe it to Langer to sort of make that pretty clear um, in the aftermath of this and after the celebrations they'll enjoy over the next couple of days. Yes, uh, ultimately. I mean, we've enjoyed it because we like watching cricket and it's an Ashes series, but God, it was also a bad series. It was such an uncompetitive series. It was such a poor team at so many times in so many ways against you know an Australian team that is quality in, in some respects, but still has its weak spots. But I think that's what stands out is that the weak spots were the ones that became strengths. Um, if, if you told England before the series, Warner will average 34, Smith will average 30, Labuschagne 40, uh, Hazelwood won't play. Cummins will miss a test match. Happy days, they would have been delighted, but they've been smashed by Head, by Kawaja, by Boland, by Richardson, by Nisa. Um, by the, George Bailey. All the replacements. By George, George Bailey. Bailey, I mean, like... Yeah, 5-0 five, five when he played and 4-0 and as a play. I mean, he's got every call right. You could quibble on Kawaja opening this week if you really, 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 really wanted to because he had a double failure, but he made twin tons the week before. So You, you can't, know, can't really drop that you guy. You can't really drop that guy and you had to find room. And Harris sort of worked too because Harris made runs at Melbourne, which was the, the decisive test match in the series. So um, well played to the guys um, behind the scenes like him, like Tony Dottomade, who was thrown into this role about five minutes before the T20 World Cup. And of course, Langer's on that selection panel. So yeah. um, he gets credit for that uh, as a group of three. And you're right, though. I mean, you got to go back now to 06, 07, you know, 5-0, then the aberration of 10-11, you know, brilliant for England cricket that it was, but that golden generation getting Australia at the perfect mm. time, another 5-0, then 4-0 due to the shit Melbourne yeah. pitch, and, and even- 4-0 here due to 
well, to their immense credit, holding on at Sydney. And, and a fair bit of rain. And a fair bit of rain, if you wanted to. took a yeah. fair bit of time out, out of the game. But yeah, uh, you, you look at, even you look at something like 13, 14, and it's, it's good bowlers getting really good players out, you know, Cook, Trot, Bell, Peterson, really good England players being yeah. overwhelmed. And somehow that didn't seem as depressing as players who just weren't up to it being overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's... Well, they just beat Australia 3-0, you know, three months earlier. Yeah. It was still... It was the end of a great team, the yeah. end of an era, right? Um, and 10-11 was the peak of the era. Uh, well, on the way to becoming number one team in the world. And 06, 07 um, was immediately after 05. So there was context where they, those teams weren't ill-equipped to compete. They just had stinkers down here. Yep. This team was ill-equipped to compete. And we talked about the environmental factors, the short-term factors, the, the mitigation with what happened to them at the start with quarantine, no preparation, bad selections, getting Brisbane horribly wrong. You know, there's all of that. Yep. But, but, but then there's today and, and you think that, you know, it, it's felt more like today more often than it should. And it makes you really worry about the, not the long-term, you know, sustainability of the ashes or anything like that, or, you know, the, the long-term health of test cricket, but just simply that you worry a little bit about this England team and about where they actually fit in the pecking order and mm-hmm. how much work they've got to do um, in many ways to become anywhere close to a team that can genuinely compete on the world stage full stop. Tour of West Indies coming up, visits from New Zealand, South Africa and India um, could be could be some beatings ahead. Final, final word, Hall of Fame. Final, final. Where we do the Hall of Fame for the final time. Things that caught our eye, things that stood out, things that amused, things that uh, didn't amuse. What have you got, Adam? What, uh, what's the first one? Throw one up at yeah, me. Yeah, I've got a lot of stuff here that I, that I talked about earlier, like Carey's catch, like the no ball that yep. maybe shouldn't have been, like the stuff in the slips I was looking at before play today with the cordon and how that changed things around Mark Wood, around the celebrity appeal for a decision that went broad's way and ultimately was shown to be pitching outside leg about Mark Wood, um, at Mark Wood about Dava Milan um, mm-hmm. welcoming a, a daughter into the world or his wife welcoming the daughter into the world, but, but um, him becoming a father mm-hmm. um, yesterday. I thought that was all pretty good stuff, but um, that probably um, drains me of um, of my um, nominations, but consider them you've, part of the mix. You fired off your rounds before the. Oh no! I, began. I also want to um, in in the Hall of Fame acknowledge uh, the crew that were there on the hill today. Mm-hmm. Um, they caught up. Uh, they uh, the final word. Crew. Final word crew caught up. Sarah and Fran and Jake and Gordon and Fitzy and they were all there doing their thing. A bloke called Sam came up to me um, after play today. There was another guy called Jerry, I think it was. Love you all. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, and um, yes, uh, I'll be back in the Discord channel soon. Great stuff. Um, I, I enjoyed the the chat after the game about how, who should be player of the series. Was it Cummins with his 21 wickets and four tests? Was it Stark who led the bowling attack when the others weren't there? Was it Boland for the Magic? No, it has to go to a batsman. Travis Head, player of the series. They love that. They love giving it to batsmen. Yeah. Oh, he played really well. But uh, Low you know. scoring series to find two test matches. I would just say that if, if they've... His innings here is the reason Australia. I mean, it's, he was the clear player of the match for mine. Um, I, what I mean, what about Cameron that, Green? who got the three key wickets oh, in this last innings and totally. Made, but I mean, made he, he was. If I was giving Brownlow votes, I would give him two. For, but um, they're not in a position to win the test if they're bundled out for a hundred on the first day. No. Probably not. I mean, you don't know because sure. timelines aren't linear, as we talked well, about yes. at great length after the Leeds Test of 2019. But I would say a guy who makes 74 and takes three wickets is more valuable than someone. Yeah, who makes I mean, you can build the case, but the head innings, the head innings, most of it's happened before. Green walks out. It's True. a different world it's, by the time. It sets the scene for Green. Yeah. And as for the player of the series, uh, you know, Australia do bowl out 
uh, England on the first day of the series, but they're un- under a little bit of pressure when Head walks in and just slams one five two. It's just like it's such a punctuation mark in that in that test, which sets the tone for everything that follows. Mm-hmm. You could make the case for Cummins, sure, twenty one wickets at eighteen, albeit with the couple coming at the end. But I think the beauty of the Australian attack is actually that I wouldn't give it to any of them. It's like the the team effort award mm-hmm. for all of them. I ran through a few of them before, but what was it? Cummins twenty one, Stark nineteen, Boland eighteen. Uh, Green, Green 14. 14 and and Lion TFC. Maybe that's my Hall of Fame. For the first time in Test cricket, Nathan Lyons got did not bowl, did not bowl. He bashed a quick 30-odd, took two great catches. Yep. The last time, well, no, it's never happened to him. Uh, the, 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 the lowest workload he'd had before this was the three overs he bowled at Cape Town in 2011 when he top scored with 14 with the bat out of all that 47. Mm. So um, it's been a long time since he's had um, not that much work to do. But um, yeah, that's kind of... And he took 16 for the series too, effectively in four test matches. Yeah. So, And he got paid 20 grand in a match fee to field and, and hit three sixes. Beautiful. Lovely. Love to see it. Lovely. Um, so, yes, that was great. And my final Hall of Fame nomination is that Adam Collins has been sitting in a radio box here all week with the football siren button on the wall <laughs> and just, just fanging to press it, just holding himself back. And after play tonight, after it all finished, after everyone's gone and the lights went off, he went over and had a sneaky press of the siren it took, button. It took a while to go off. This is, I think some listeners will care about this. I thought if I just went pop, it would go boop, a little boop. Yeah. And a lot of people encouraged me to do that like at a drinks break or something like that. I had to really give it some welly. And even then it only went boop. So I'm thinking that in order to make the siren really do the full, you need to hold it down for a number of seconds. Yeah, okay. So, you know, behind the scenes here in the commentary box, sometime the, sometimes the timekeeper box, evidently. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's have another test at Hobart and maybe you can Absolutely. That's the last bit, go. isn't it? Hobart crowd. They were great. They were great. 8,000 in each day, whatever it was, 9,000. Forget about that. I've talked to a lot of people who didn't come this week because of COVID. COVID got here like two weeks ago, and then they're, then they're holding one of the what, what's been described as the most important sporting event in their state's history. It is understandable that some people stayed home. No dramas. If not for the fact that COVID got here a fortnight ago, there would have been 14,000 people here every day. That's just the way these things yep. are at the moment. We need to afford a little bit of leniency there. Yep, but uh, as we said, for Cricket Australia's part, the tickets got bought. They don't mind if you show up or not. Bring it back next year. There, there, there's going to be six test matches in Australia next year. Yeah. And look, there, there's a case for Monica as well. But um, Hobart, great advertisement this week. Well played to all involved. I think that is it. I think that is the final word, Ashes Daily, for the final time. Uh, with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened in, uh, all the new people who've found the show through this series. We make podcasts more often than this we keep making them we make a couple of week in normal times and we do dailies for some of the big series and we're going to make a big weekly show about Virat Kohli handing over the Indian captaincy before um, Jeff and I leave Tasmania and I return to London I don't know when we'll do it exactly but um, it's Monday today we might do it tomorrow we might do it the day after but we definitely will do it we will Uh, and we'll we'll make other shows about cricket history and about other series and uh, whatever else is going on in the world of it so if you've enjoyed the Ashes Daily uh punch us into Michael Google and see what you can turn up. Uh, and if you lo- love the show particularly, you can go to patreon.com slash the final word and help us keep making it. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, farewell from Bell Reeve. We'll see you the next time. There's a final word. Bye. I had to go.
so after two months of cricket we have to leave you here a little older if none the wiser congratulations to Australia for their well-deserved victory Pat Cummins has really led them outstandingly in only his first series in charge and a sympathy card to England along with the name and number of a good therapist thanks to Jeff and Adam and everyone at the Final Word podcast and if you have enjoyed listening to these episodes or in fact if you've enjoyed any of the Guardian content from this series be it our match reports and analysis or our over by over community please do consider supporting our journalism financially because it's really the only way we can bring you this stuff thanks again for listening i'm emma john this episode was produced by sophia tarek the final word is produced by bad producer productions and edited by james hurley and the executive producers for this series were miles martinoni gabrielle jackson and melanie tate goodbye